This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 145, Geography. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. This week, I have the privilege of sharing my discussion with Jeremy DeHutt and Barry Brittnell of Appian Media, a wonderful resource for professional and biblical material. Check them out at appianmedia.org. This is the first half of our discussion. We will discuss the insights the crew found into the book of Revelation while filming their most recent project, Trial and Triumph, Revelation's Churches. This is what I've been preaching. Appian Media's most recent production, Trial and Triumph, takes the viewer through the sites of Revelation's seven churches of Asia. It's not just a journey of miles or centuries. It's a journey into our own minds and hearts. As with any part of the Bible, Revelation is, at its core, God's effort to draw creation to himself. What particularly is it about Revelation that resonates or should resonate with Christians today? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Revelation is a book that uh, I think a lot of people have misunderstood, in some level maybe a little scared of, but I appreciate what has been written by John. It was relevant, obviously, for the people of the first century, for his uh, immediate readers, but it, it has a tremendous impact on our lives today. And I think one of the things that Jeremy and Mark Wilson and the rest of the Appian Media crew have done uh, with the production of Trial and Trump is to show that. It's to show how relevant uh, these letters that uh, were written to these seven churches are, uh, even to us today. Yeah, maybe to jump in on that um, and maybe to answer a background question that a lot of people ask about Appian Media and our productions is, you know, how do you choose what to shoot? How do you choose what to produce? And, you know, when we got started with Appian Media, obviously the most obvious thing to do was the life of Jesus and go through the Gospels and look at the Bible lands that he lived in and walked in and taught in. But once we got through following the Messiah, we sat down and started talking about what are sections of the Bible that maybe Uh, people haven't produced as much helpful material on. Uh, So we jumped into the United Kingdom and doing Searching for a King. And then we started talking about what next. And we, we threw out a lot of different ideas. We were brainstorming on the whiteboard. And we came up with a lot of different, really good ideas that I think we're going to get to in time. But the one that we thought was most pertinent and most practical for us to do next was Revelation for several reasons. When we started looking at the world around us, when we started looking more at the culture here in the West, some of the difficulties and hardships and temptations and and trials that Christians were going through today, that just seemed to parallel really well some of the trials and temptations that the saints uh, that received revelation were going through. So when we started talking about worldliness, well, that's in revelation. Um, When we started talking about compromise, well, that's in revelation. When you start to talk about endurance, the need to endure and to be faithful through difficult circumstances, I mean, that's all through Revelation. And one of the really big themes that we tried to emphasize throughout the production, one of the biblical themes that is addressed in Revelation is Christians needing to have a more biblical perspective of the person of Jesus, which Jesus does really strongly in Revelation 1. Um, You see God do a similar thing. Uh, when the temple is dedicated in 1 Kings 8, you see a, a similar type of thing in Ezekiel 1, 
as God gets ready to commission Ezekiel to serve, there's this really strong theophany. And it just seems like Christians need that perspective today. In Trial and Triumph, going through these seven sites, is there any one particular one that reminded you of a particular experience that you have or a particular problem that churches have these days? Did anyone speak particularly to you? Looking at the totality of them with the theme of needing to hear, there were a couple of churches that Jesus did not condemn specifically. Um, He wasn't particularly harsh, but was super encouraging. Those churches seem to have been doing a good job hearing him. The other five were struggling in some aspect or another where they were not. And so getting down to the core of it, whatever the application was, whatever the struggle or sin was, it started with a root problem of they weren't listening to Jesus. And so that theme, I think, stood out to me. Uh, that similarity, that that's where we get as individuals, and that's where we get as churches when we stop listening to Jesus and what he has to say to us. If I want to have his presence in my church, uh, I need to listen to him. So I think that stood out as we went through each of those, because each of those is addressed that way. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I think one of the ones that stood out was uh, Sardis, You know, for those who haven't seen it yet, that was a pretty pivotal moment in the documentary. And that's going through that process and that traveling process really emphasized how someone can be self-deceived, where they, they think they are a certain thing or they think they have a certain quality, but it's not necessarily true. Or we can overly focus on our external circumstances or external strengths. And we really don't see ourselves the way that we are. We're self-deceived. That one really struck me as well. I touched on the idea of Croesus and the, mm. the Lydian Empire recently, not in the context of Sardis, but yeah. in the context of money. This is the, the richest Croesus, Croesus, the one who seemed like he could buy the entire world and virtually yeah. tried to. You think that you have the, the world on a string, as it were. And I didn't have really thought about that in a Sardis context, yeah. but finding failure where it looks like failure is impossible. That, I think, is a a theme that Christians in the modern day don't really think about much. Not American Christians, anyway. I'm not in a position to speak about other cultures. But there is a very real, too-big-to-fail kind of mentality to the point where I have heard multiple preachers say that if somehow, some way, the church were to fail in the United States— Well, that would surely be a sign of end times, because Mm. if the Lord is not able to use the United States and its ample resources and such to spread the gospel to the world or flip side, if the gospel could fail in a place like the United States where so many advantages are available, well, surely that's an indication that the world is irredeemable and beyond hope and then the Lord's going to come. And the more I study Noah's day, for instance, the more I study the, the general sinful culture of the world that has always existed, the more arrogant that seems, the more self-centered that seems. Uh, the Lord did pretty well with the gospel in the first century before there was the United States. Yeah. I mean, you got, you've got Jesus trying to help people redefine things in a more biblical way as he's right into these churches. So he's trying to help them understand what true wealth is, what true success is, what actual failure is. 
they thought that they were rich. They thought they were clothed. They thought they could see, but they couldn't. You know, you get to the last church there in the list, Laodicea, and he's making those points. I know of a congregation in the last 12 months here in the U.S. that from some people's perspective failed in a really massive way. But when you talk to them now on the other side of some really difficult things they've gone through, they're in a better place than they were 12 months ago, spiritually speaking. But when you look at the externals, some of it doesn't look like what the world would say is success. They had to work through that process and realize that faithfulness to God is really the measuring stick that God was using, um, whatever the externals end up being. And, you know, so we can get hyper-focused on numbers or size or location of a building or the size and maturity of a leadership or all those kinds of things. Those aren't the metrics that God is using or Jesus is using. Um, So I think Revelation helps with that. Um, it did for us anyway, for, for those of us who worked on it. I was, I was going to say too, that I think it's important to always remember too, that God will use whatever circumstance he wants to use Mm -hmm. to accomplish his mission. One of the things that Jeremy and I have seen as we've traveled over to Israel a number of times are the buildings and the constructions of King Herod. Once you study Herod and his family and the type of ruler that he was and the type of ruler that his children were and his grandchildren were and the style of lives that they lived, you know, it's, it's easy for us to look at our political situation, you know, here in the United States or other countries around the world and say, this is as bad as it's ever been, but you need to take a look at the first century. I don't know if we have anything really on our planet right now that compares to what the Jewish people were living in during the first century. And that's the period of time that God chose to implement the next phase of his plan and send his son to the earth. God will use whatever period of time and whatever circumstances he wants to accomplish his mission. You know, and we will scratch our head and think, I don't understand why God is is doing it this way. I don't understand. It seemed like it makes so much more sense if we did it this other way. And then we kind of step back a little bit. Now, wait a minute. You know, I've been saying all this time that God's smarter than me. My understanding is limited. Maybe I need to practicalize that a little bit. Maybe I need to actually put that into effect. I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to make sense of it all. God's got this. It's not that God is trying to be relevant or timely or or whatever the needs of human beings today are the same as they always have been. The technology is different, but what does technology have to do with anything? One of our favorite Psalms, Psalm 20, verse 7, where some trust in chariots and seven horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Your level of technology is not as important as your level of faith. And, and if you can connect to God in any era, in any circumstance, I think I sit here, I, I say these things like, I have this licked and I catch myself every once in a while. I am true confession time. I, I am really not as, as confident as I should be with regard to these kind of things. I have, I'm not a world traveler. I have had a very sheltered life. I have been protected from the evils of the world to a large degree. I think a lot of Christians have, and it's really easy for us to spout about how we need to, to endure hardship and tough it out. And look at those churches in Revelation. They were, they were really oppressed, and they put their shoulder to the wheel, and that's, that's a great thing. We need to do that kind of thing. 
I have no idea what that means. Have you gained any kind of perspective with regard to what it means to endure hardship? You know, for those who watch the documentary, mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to, to highlight in this production that we didn't do in other productions, it was just a different thing. It was a different animal. But in this documentary, we had a lot more voices. We tried to highlight different people and their stories. And even though their circumstances varied, you know, they came from different parts of the country or different parts of the world. They were living and serving in different areas. Um, There was a variety of ages and and family circumstances. But as you go through there, you realize all of those folks have been enduring different trials. And it's through the encountering of those trials that you start to look at your professed theology and your practical theology. It's one thing to read through your Bible and say, well, the Bible says this, this, and that about God, and I believe what the Bible says. And that's your professed theology. But then you go through life and experience by God's providence and sovereignty, you experience what you experience, and what you profess is put to the test. And it's not until it goes through that test that you have the opportunity to realize where you are and adjust and change. Going through those trials is is what helps you really develop that. So on a personal level, one of the things that we did going through there is we shared a couple of instances from our family, uh, Anna and I and the kids, to to share some of the personal trials that that we've gone through in our marriage and how God has led us through that. So even though we have not experienced everything that those churches in Revelation experienced, we understand what our personal trials are and the principles that those churches needed to learn to endure, um, our family needed to learn to endure. And I think any Christian that lives any length of time needs those principles because they're going to go through difficult times. One of the things I was going to say is exactly what Jeremy just mentioned. Uh, Everybody has different trials that they go through. One of the things that I have enjoyed the most about traveling with this group from Appian Media is the fact that we have experienced a number of things together, but one of those things is just sitting around the table and talking. And one of the things that we quickly realize is that, yes, we're Christians and we're all believers And we're all trying to do everything that we can to live as God wants us to live. But along with that come trials. All of us have experienced trials and experienced different types of trials. Uh, My wife, Tabitha, and I have not had to endure uh, some of the trials that Jeremy and his wife, Anna, have had to endure. But we've had our own trials. And we've had to figure out how to negotiate that and to come out on the other side stronger. And uh, that's, you know, that's where God's word comes into play. Mm -hmm. And in particular, of course, we're talking about the letters written to the churches in Revelation. And that's why those letters are so practical. Uh, Yes, they were written to a specific people, but they were written to us as well. That's one of the things I love about this documentary that Jeremy uh, worked on uh, is because it brings that to the forefront. Well, we've been talking about Appian Media a fair amount. Why don't you spend a little bit of time here before we close out this segment talking about what Appian is and what, what they do and, and how all that came to be? <laughs> well, really, we need to have a couple other guys on here. Uh, we hardly ever get the whole team on a big group thing uh, to answer this. Uh, and it's really it's really easy for folks to talk to Barry and I because we're, you know, we're faces, but there's so many people that go into 
making these things happen. Usually the story starts with my brother and his friend, Stuart Peck. So Craig D. Hutt and Stuart Peck. And both of those guys have professional experience in media production, shooting, post-production, editing, um, sound design, all of that, field producing. And so as professionals in their field, they met up several years ago and they were talking about the need that they saw for high quality, free media to be available to Christians as they taught. They were teaching in Bible classes in their respective congregations, and they were looking for resources, and they were just struggling finding them at the time. And at the time that they had that conversation, nearly six years ago at this point, you know, that was before people were Zooming. That was before some of the equipment they are currently using was available. Um, Field production was a lot harder to do logistically. Crowdfunding was a newish thing. So figuring out how to fund things like that, especially when you want to give your product away for free. So what they came up with was starting a nonprofit that was funded through gifts and donations so that they could go to the Bible lands and create resources to provide to people for free through the internet. At the time, they did not have a website. They didn't have a platform to do it. All they really wanted to start with was the life of Jesus. You know, they they had gone through the gospels and divided the life of Jesus into 10 episodes. And they tried to raise the funds in 2015, uh, 2016 for the first five, like all they could figure out how to produce was the first five. And from that, you know, from that, they pulled together this team over the years that involves nearly a, a dozen people, especially on the back end. We've got three major productions now, if you put following the Messiah together into one large chunk of production. Um, We've got some smaller productions. We've got podcasts. Uh, We've started writing, producing uh, our own study guides and reading materials. Uh, There is a website now. There's an app that that we just released about a month ago uh, where you can access all of our media. I don't know that any of us sat down five or six years ago and thought that we would be here, but we've been very, very blessed by God to be able to work together to do stuff like this. And, and Barry has been really critical in that since he's made the most trips out of all of us. Um, I think it's a toss up between he and Dan. <laughs> well, I, I think it's important too, to remember that one of the ideas that got this concept started has to do with our young people. If you are under 20 years old, you basically don't remember a world uh, without YouTube. And there are pros and cons with that. I will, I will admit but we try to embrace the pro of that. Even at, at my age, I, you know, I've got grown children, but uh, if I need to go and learn something, I'll pull up a YouTube video and watch someone else do it. And then I've learned how to do it. And so I understand why that, uh, why that media is there and why it's so interesting to young people. But, um, you know, we, we live in a culture in which uh, young people are exposed to media all the time. And, uh, then we were trying to teach them the Bible and we were saying, okay, put away your phone. Let's study our Bible. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's also nothing wrong with helping them to use the tools that are in their hand as well to learn the Bible. And so um, that's why these, these videos came up. You know, let's, let's try to create some biblically accurate videos that can help young kids and encourage them to open up their Bibles. You know, we started with video production. Mm-hmm. That was that was the the vision originally. We want to go create free videos that people can watch online. But we realized really quickly we don't want to be the bingeable channel 
where people are just coming to watch things and be entertained for a period of time. And then when they're done binging it, they walk away going, well, that was nice. We wanted them to use it as a, as a tool to go deeper into their Bible study. And so we realized we needed to, to create some content to help bridge that gap because I couldn't be in every congregation that ever watched all of this and be the guy that led them into the study. We needed to create some resources to help people know how to do that because so few churches were using video in their adult classes, teen classes, or even home studies. So we kind of thought we need to help people figure out how to do this. So even, even our written resources are different. You know, they've got the QR codes in them that bounce you to the specific video, but we're not trying to entertain you. It's a very small, short clip that you can use to generate discussion with the text. So we're trying to, to help people figure out how to use all of these tools to further their Bible study so that they can make better, hopefully better application than maybe they would have. Well, hasn't that been one of the major objections, I guess, to current media with regard to integrating it into study and worship and spiritual things in general, that the line between education and entertainment is getting kind of blurry that we can get so focused on putting a product together that looks good, that sounds good, that grabs mm-hmm. the attention of young people, that content is either excluded or minimized. And we wind up just kind of putting on a TV show, mm-hmm. a little skit for the kids, rather than actually bringing people closer to Jesus. I love this discussion. I love <laughs> this. Okay. So last month, Craig and I went down to Florida College down in Tampa to have a, a conversation. It was a one-hour Q&A with some of the students. And then later that evening, um, the school invited us to do a, a screening or a showing of Trial and Triumph. So folks came and we played the whole two-hour documentary. But during the Q&A, we, someone, one of the students asked something along those lines, and we had a really fun impromptu survey. And so with the three of us here, I think all of us can appreciate this because, you know, we're uh, younger than 60. Um, so thanks for that. I, I asked the kids, I asked the kids, I was like, so how many of you have seen video or really smooth PowerPoint presentations and sermons? Every hand in the room went up. I said, okay, how many of you have sat in a Bible class or a sermon where the, the presenter used um, overhead projector? Only like two or three hands went up. I was like, okay, so how many of you saw a preacher preach using a whiteboard or a chalkboard as he outlined his sermon? No hands went up. I was like, okay, now how many of you realize that, you know, decades ago, preachers would draw out their outline or their points on a bed sheet and take it with them? And they all looked at each other like, how weird is that? (laughs) Like, okay, how many of you realize that in this really controversial passage, Jesus was writing in the dirt, you know, and everybody chuckled. The point of the conversation is this, that visual aids Mm -hmm. used to teach is nothing new. I mean, you made the point earlier that technology changes, and it does at a very rapid pace, it seems like. And every time it changes, we have this very needed conversation. At what point does the line blur between using a tool well to help make the point versus we get so enamored with it that we turn it into an entertainment thing. 
And every generation, we think we're the first generation that has to have this conversation. People have been having, I'm sure there was somebody in that, that auditorium that was like, bed sheets, that's not where bed sheets belong, put the bed sheet back, you know, um, or Jesus, you're writing in the dirt, stop it and just use the word. I am sure there were objections every step along the way. And it's a needed conversation to have because the tool can be misused for sure. But I think we need to think through it and uh, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, yeah, and and I totally agree. One of the things that we have emphasized over and over and over again throughout the history of Appian Media is as much as we love to hear the stories of people binge watching our videos or telling us how good the videos are, what we really like to hear is the following sentence. I watched one of your videos and then I went and opened up my Bible. Yeah. Instead of watching our video 10 times and reading the chapter once, we want you to watch the video once and go read the chapter 10 times. That's what we, that's what we want. And I'm like Jeremy. I love this discussion about visual aids. And I've actually heard Jeremy, I'm going to steal a point that Jeremy's made. I've heard him make this point a couple of times. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, God's talking to Abraham and he's making this promise and God's trying to make a point to Abraham. And he says, Look up to the sky. Look at the stars. God is using a visual aid to make the point he wants to make. And so, yeah, this question about using visual aids in your teaching, people, including God, have been doing it for years and years. But the question that you asked, Hal, about where do you go from education to entertainment? That's a good question to ask. And it's something that at Appy Media that we're constantly asking. We want to make sure that what we're doing points people in the right direction because that's that's our whole goal. And um, I will tell you, there have been times in our video production, we've been standing at a site in Israel filming. Cameras are rolling. And Jeremy and I will say something on camera and uh, nothing that Jeremy and I say is scripted. We have a Jeremy and I talk about it. We have a general idea of how the conversation is going to go, but nothing is scripted. And but there have been times in which one or both of us said something incorrect Mm -hmm. and somebody in the crew will pick up on it and they'll say, well, stop. Hang on. Wait a minute. And we'll stop rolling and we'll talk about it and we'll pull out our Bibles because we want to make sure that we get it right. You know, we want people to watch these and then go study their Bible. We want to give them biblically accurate information as we go through this. On a smaller scale, when folks talk about um, sermons or preaching, you know, and they talk about their favorite preacher, you know, I love his voice. I love the the smooth sound of his voice. Or, man, that story that guy tells. Or do you remember that joke? Or, you know, whatever. And some of that you can't help. Some of that you just can't because people are trying to present in a compelling way and help make connections so that you get the principle or that you remember the scripture. But at some point, even without visual aids, we can shift into entertainment where I've read one Bible verse in 45 minutes, but told you stories for 40. Or I've told you such a compelling joke that you walk away and you remember the joke for the rest of the week, but you can't remember the the scripture we were in. So Mm -hmm. even without visual aids as a presenter, I need to be very conscientious about how I'm communicating and what I'm communicating just verbally. You know, some of that you can't help, but we also need to be really intentional and realize we're not there to entertain. If we use an illustration or a story or a joke or a poem, it's there to get us deeper into the word. And I need to use those selectively and 
make sure I'm not using too much because I want the emphasis. I want people walking away going, man, God is so good. Jesus is amazing. His word is so true. That's what I want them walking away with. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.